I want to use 14 to kind of get the running start and then jump into the rest of the chapter and finish up chapter 10. And so we're getting toward the end of this, which I'm always excited, but I also always like, ah, I, I hate getting to the end of a book because I feel sometimes I feel like we're, you know, how much have we really been able to accomplish going through it? But we've been in this for almost a year, so, um, and it's not an easy read. Um, but you have in verse 14, it says, yet the, fool's multi uh, the fool multiplies words. We, we talked about that last week, uh, some, and, and note that then it goes on, it says, no person knows what will happen and what can tell him what will come after him. All right, so what, the, the, what Solomon is doing here is he's kind of tapping into earlier phrases that he wrote. Now, in, in this section, it's like he makes a statement, he makes a different statement, he makes a different statement. He's kind of transitioning out of this whole comparison between the fool and the wise and, and even the, the, it was in a, a, a general view of politics, if you remember. Um, and then in verse 20, you have this, it, even a reference to the king, verse 17, the king and, uh, of nobility. And, and so he's kind of transitioning out of that. Um, and 11, in chapter 11, he starts even more kind of giving these isolated type of parabolic, proverbial type of statements. So 11 is like, I was like, wow, that, the 11 is, we're going to have our hands full uh, once we get into 11. But in what he's doing here, which I find fascinating, is he's kind of tapping back into what he has previously written in chapter 8. And I want to keep my one Bible open to Ecclesiastes 10 and go to 8 verse 7 where um, he says actually in verse 6, because for every matter there is a time and judgment, though the misery of man increases greatly. And then in verse 7, for he does not know what will happen, so who can tell him when it will occur? Uh, this, this idea that we are really uh, in the dark um, when it comes to the future, which a lot of us probably don't, we probably don't give a lot of thought to it. And I think if we probably knew the future, it would it might even paralyze our present. Chapter 6, he even goes in here as well in verse 12. For he says, for who knows what is good for man in life, all the days of his vain life, which he passes like a shadow, and who can tell a man what will happen after him under the sun? So uh, what's interesting is in, in chapter 8, and, and even in chapter 6, um, he's talking about things that are unknowable, unknowable to people. Uh, but here, um, he's tying it in with the ignorant chatter, if you will, or the ignorant verbiage of the fool in chapter 10. And, and so, which... 
first question, uh, topic of discussion, if you will. Um, is there a difference between ignorant, vain speech and the speech of a fool? Is there an ignorance? Now, it, basically, ignorant essentially means not knowing, right? And, and we, we've kind of morphed it into meaning something derogatory because, again, in our culture, you've you got to know everything, right? Um, at least that's the expectation. Um, if you don't believe that, you should have been here about 10 years ago in the parking lot on Sundays. Anyway, but that's another story for another time. Uh, but is there a difference between a wise person who has ignorant, vain speech? See, we talked about this some, right? Because nobody, I'll, I'll kind of let the cat out of the bag slowly. Nobody bats a thousand, right? Nobody bats a thousand. Um, the wisest among us, and that's all of us, right? Okay. The wisest among us, sometimes things kind of come flying out of our mouth that it was like, uh, come back here. Let me put you back. Yeah, it happens, right? Is there a difference between that and the speech of a fool? And how can you do Now, this is a tough question. How would you determine if there is a difference? I think that could be a marker. Now, we're getting to talking about things that to me are slightly above our pay grade. But I think nonetheless, we have this wisdom literature to try to make us aware of it. Because some of the people that I question, whether they are sound or not, they probably feel the same way about me. And they are in incredibly confident that they're right. Which is interesting to me because some people that, and, and this, this might be the best way to interpret this, might not, okay? Uh, this is where I needed my T-shirt. Um, your mileage may vary. Because part of what might Solomon be describing here, and it, it's, this is almost a read-between-the-lines kind of pa uh, uh, passage. In other words, so you're gonna, it's going to become very personal, personal based on how you understand life and based on the experiences that you've had. But I... I, I one commentator, that gets me slightly off the hook here, basically said the fool believes he can predict the future. Yeah, I'm going, there's a purpose for this. The fool believes he can predict the future. Um, and because of that, they make very confident statements about our, and usually it's our impending doom. I'm talking conspiracy people, essentially, which we had a boatload of them here at one time. Um, I didn't join the party. Um, <laughs> but
but but and, and so I'm tapping into my own experience here as I'm as I'm reading this and considering this. Um, because part of the theme of Ecclesiastes is the wise person is one who will confess their ignorance of the future and one who, because they recognize that they don't know what the future holds, uh, they trust in God. Now, I don't... It is. Uses many words, yes, for, verse 14. And that, that's a hard call, too. Um, and because we, we live in a, we live in an, an era, an age, I guess, where I guess I've learned to be naturally suspicious of almost everyone in that regard, any kind of prediction. Um, of you might remember the book 88 Reasons Why Christ is Returning in 1988. Nobody else remembers that but me and maybe Mary. Oh, it was big in, in yeah, 88 Reasons. 88 Reasons, 1988. Okay, so we're what? Do the math, Mike, 35 years? 35 years ago? Didn't, you know? Um, and because I thought about this and... and in my thinking on this, I thought, well, what about prophets? What about prophets in the church? You see, uh-huh. Jeremiah had that problem. Um, in particular with Jeremiah because he had a bunch of false prophets that were saying, don't listen to what Jeremiah is saying. He's not telling the truth. We're going to be fine. And Jeremiah was a doomsday prophet. Um, so, you know, everything all of a sudden gets flipped around. Um, you know, I... The predictions of Trump being reelected already. We'll see. But, you know. Second Peter, referring to Noah. Uh, because th there's always a flip side, guys. There's always a flip side. Second Peter, chapter 2. For context, I'll go to verse 4, but 5 is where I want to look at. For if God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to hell and deliver them into chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment, and did not spare the ancient world, but saved Noah, one of eight people, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood on the world of the ungodly. So, was he preaching and pounding nails? He might have been. Did they think he was crazy? That's what Bill, they, they probably did. And usually what accompanies craziness? Foolishness. Why in the living whatever would he build an ark unless God told him? 
a preacher of righteousness, the ark itself was a testimony, I think. I think it could definitely could have been. But was he putting down the hammer and the skill saw and preaching? I don't know. Peter says he was a preacher of righteousness. Yeah. Right. He probably didn't go on the road. Yeah. I mean, it took 120 years to build the thing. Um, think of, you know, you know, think of the, the bill he had at Hoyt's. But then again, that got all washed away. But anyway, um, so there is a flip side to this, and there's always this idea of being very careful. And I had someone tell me, convinced as convinced as convinced as convinced as, okay, so let's see, we have um, two years of Biden, four, four years of Trump, that's six, and then 14 years ago, Convinced as anything that Obama was the Antichrist. And, yeah, yeah. And you can see it in his eyes. And I didn't believe this person. In fact, much of what this person said over the time that they attended here, I thought was foolishness. I can say that because we have a password and they will never hear this, right? I'm trying to get, keep the pronouns out of this, but you guys know who I'm talking about, most of you. All right. And, 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 and there was a collection of folks like that. They didn't necessarily claim to be prophets. but they spoke prophetically. prophetically. They spoke, spoke in a prophetic manner. Forthtelling, that is proclaiming the word of God as they understood it. And then, of course, there is the foretelling. Deuteronomy chapter 13, Deuteronomy chapter 18 deals primarily with the Foretelling. Foretelling is predicting the future. That's, again, that's what the, the, uh, the, uh, um, the topic is here in Ecclesiastes chapter 10. I don't remember if 13, Deuteronomy 13 says it or not. I know 18 does say it, but in chapter 18 of Deuteronomy it says if they prophesy saying the Lord has said this and it doesn't come to pass, that prophet must die. Um, and then it also tells them in verse, uh, later in chapter 18, don't be afraid of them. Um, trying to find it here. I didn't put down the verse. But, but that prophet, chapter 13 of Deuteronomy, verse 5, that, but that prophet or that dreamer of dreams shall be put to death. Okay, so if they, if, uh, it says in verse 3, you shall not listen to the words of the prophet or that dreamer of dreams, for the Lord your God is testing you whether or not you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. But particularly in verse 13, uh, excuse me, chapter 13, I'll go back to verse 1. If there rises among you a prophet or a dreamer of dreams and he gives you a sign 
or a wonder. Now follow this. And the sign or the wonder comes to pass. It happens. He gives you a sign, gives you a wonder. It happens. It comes to pass. Of which he spoke to you saying, let us go after other gods, which you have not known, and let us serve them. You shall not listen to the words of the prophet or that dreamer of dreams. Right? For the Lord and your God is testing you. So what is that describing? A is a false prophet, but B is the Lord is putting the test, but, and then C is the spiritual warfare element. Because the sign happened. The wonder happened, which would make that dreamer of dreams of that prophet seem to be legitimate. But his message was not that of that which was consistent with what God had already commanded. It's just a different angle. Yeah. It's just a different angle of the, of the uh, second commandment. Um, you guys don't know how much self-control I used the last time somebody predicted that the Lord was returning and then it didn't happen because I wanted to mock that individual something fierce. Um, but, it was, but it was a false prophecy. You know, it was a false, and, and uh, to be honest with you, yes, it tainted my particular perspective on that person. Uh, it marked it. And that's why it's important to be careful with who you listen to. And there are... Listen to whoever you want. Listen to as often as you want, all right? You know, I, I'm hopefully trying to teach you the word of God that you are equipped to temper some of these things. I can give you a long list of guys that, quite frankly, I wouldn't give two nickels for their message. And some of them are pastoring good churches. Well, they were good churches. Um. And so this idea of this, this, because I have a feeling, and that's what it really boils down to. Well, I, I just have a feeling this is true. Do you realize that the Mormons believe that as well? That's part of Mormon doctrine. It's the, called the burning in the bosom. I, I, I can't remember if it's out of the Book of Mormon or the Pearl of Great Price, but they have this, and this one of their frequent sayings that they have a burning in the bosom. Because uh, I checked with the Mormons last time they came to the doorstep. Uh, I threw a bunch of Mormon theology at them. They're like, oh, goodness. You know, it was fun. But, uh, um, and I got a book of Mormon out of them, um, which I haven't started reading yet. But, I mean, I'm not like I'm going to read it. But I wanted to, you know, cruise through it. But they're, they're a false. In some respects, some of the, yeah, I mean, but... You know, but there's a false prophet. You know, the founder of your religion is a false prophet. So what does that say about where you're at? Um, 
So I think we have to be careful. And, and these folks that I'm talking about, I think they're saved. I think they're going to be in heaven with us. Um, I'll mock them then. Well, maybe, I don't know. <laughs> maybe I won't, okay? <laughs> it's like, knock it off, Mike, right? <laughs> anyway, but, but it, it's, you know, exactly. Either that or maybe some of them can take my place there. Um, but then it, it's, it goes on because it says, the labor of the fool makes him so weary that he does not even know how to go to a city. A lot of conjecturing on this verse. I don't know if it makes any sense to any of us. Um, but it's talking about his behavior. It is not talking about those who are directionally challenged. All right? Because some... <laughs> well then... Uh, because some, some people are directionally challenged, right? They, uh, you put them out in a field somewhere and they couldn't find north, you know. Uh, I have an internal compass, but every once in a while they get, that gyro gets spun around, and it does, right? But, but, uh, but that's not what he's talking about here. A couple of different ideas. Um, the possibility of uh, the city could be a, a reference or his inability to find the city would be a reference to his refusal to submit to the wisdom of the collective of the people. That he's, he's independent on steroids. He's, he, you know, you could say he's, he's almost your typical central Oregonian, but maybe not. Um, but unwilling to submit to, to the collective wisdom of the people. That, that's a possibility. Uh, this could be translated, I'm going to read it to you, the effort of fools wearies him who does not know the way to town. Um, and it could be that the illustration could be that someone had stopped him and asked him for directions. You ever ask for somebody from, you, you know, I don't ask for directions anymore, but part of it is I got a cell phone, right? But have you ever stopped when you were lost? And of course, some of you have never been lost because you're not directionally challenged ever, right? But have you ever asked for directions and all of a sudden you just realize the person that you've asked for directions don't even know what they're talking about you're like you almost just want to say you might never mind you you don't know where you're going either and 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 so you know but you know the polite me the polite me i.e when mary's sitting shotgun right um i'll sit and listen till the whole diatribe and the, oh well, no wait a minute you know what you could do and just like oh and uh, i hope we don't have this experience again soon it's been years actually but it's like you just you listen, you listen, you just can't wait for them to be quiet so you can go find someone else you can get some directions from. And that, that, that is that possibility. Um, cause, because all of a sudden, and I don't know how else to explain it, but it's like all of a sudden people get it in their head. They want to get creative with your trip. You know, you know what I mean? Oh, yeah, but you know, if you go over here, you'll be able to see the badlands from this angle and this and that, and it's like, 
just give me directions to where I'm going, right? You're not a tour guide, and you're definitely not the Chamber of Commerce, all right? You know, and, and that, that's, a, that's a possibility of what this might be going on uh, as well, because when I get a long, long-winded explanation, by the time they've finished, at 65, now I've forgotten where they started. You know, it's like, never mind, I got a cell phone. Um, so that is a possibility of, of what this is talking about. Um, but it's behavior. You know, we've drifted from speech out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Because I think there's also this idea of the abundance of the heart, the person behaves. And we see that in the Proverbs, don't we? You know, and how many times where it talks about there's more help, there's more hope for the, you know, for him than there is the fool. Yeah, and sometimes in the Proverbs, I'm thinking of one, I can't remember exactly where, but where it sets up two people make mistakes, but the one who makes a mistake and is trying to recover, there's more help for, hope for him than there is for the fool. Um, and so that, that's, again, that's probably the possibility here. And then verse 16, um, without getting too political, but I might just abandon all restraint. Uh, Woe to you, land whose king is a boy. Now, verse 16 in the different translation, the NIV, the first part, woe to land whose king is what? Is what? A servant, yes. Uh, and I can never remember, new living, right? What do you got for the first part of 16? Servant, okay. Which takes us earlier into this chapter in the back half of last chapter, does it not? ESV says something a little different. I, I think you're bringing up a good point. Uh, so how would you reconcile that? Maybe you are cutting it too close, but okay, he was a servant, but was he... Okay, did not... God have his hand upon him, okay? So his whole bit about being a servant was, I'm taking a little liberty here with that story, all right? But I, I believe this. It was God's expedient way to get him to Egypt. But I, if I were Joseph, I would have asked for a plan B, um, like taking a greyhound or something. But, yes, he was a servant, and he was also, he went from being a prisoner to the second command. Um, but why was he put in charge? God had his hand on him manifest by what? His ability to interpret dreams, which... I don't think this is a stretch, but again, you decide what you want from this one. Was an indication of his wisdom, which probably means he should have never been a servant or a slave, 
in the house of Potiphar to begin with. But remember, he had the dreams, which made his brothers mad. The sun, the moon would bow down to him. All the, the stars would bow down to him. Or the, uh, what, the ten stars would bow down to him because Benjamin wasn't around yet. I think it's the ten stars, if I'm not mistaken. So, yeah, I think, I think that's a good question. And, and so you, you think it through a little bit. Okay, what, is he the exception to the rule? Because I think in these things, too, there's always an exception to the rule, is there not? The outlier. Um, ESV says, on the first part of verse 16, Your king is a child. And Mary, the Christian standard, a youth. Um, it reminds me of that movie, A Youth. Anyway, um, don't ask. <laughs> My head just went there. Uh, I didn't try. And I'm lost here. Um, let me get, catch up to you all. Yes, okay. Uh, <laughs> but I don't remember the other guy that you talked about earlier. But we'll... I'll have to work on that. Child is what the New King James says. Should have asked Larry. He had it. Um, so, servant, child, youth. And let's finish the verse. And whose princes feast in the morning. Okay, now in that time frame. Now, I'm going to jump on what Harv said in a minute. So I'm, I'm going to remember to go back to it. Because not only Solomon, excuse me, not only Joseph, but Solomon was a youth when he became king. Okay. Um, but what you got here is you have rulers who are feasting in the morning. Now, in a feast, in, the, in that culture at that time, what else? Okay, you had the big feasts that were normally reserved till later on in the day, usually in the evening. But also, what accompanied feasting? A lot of wine. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it was festive, and so that was, that was part of the culture as well. And so, but if you do that first thing in the morning, when you have work to do, now you're on a full stomach, you've had a couple glasses of wine or a couple bottles of wine or whatever the case may be, or you, you haven't even gotten up from the table yet. Yeah, uh, so much for the day. Uh, let's get up and do it again tomorrow, you know. And, and so, in other words, it's a picture of what? Indulgence. Gluttony, possibly. It's a picture of privilege. And you have a king who doesn't know how to control his nobles because he's either too young or he is a servant. Now, Solomon became king when he was quite young. In 1 Kings chapter 3, um, he, God says, I will give you whatever you want. Remember this? 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 9, Solomon says to God, Therefore, give to your servant 
So there you have it there as well. Youth and a servant. Give to your servant an understanding heart to judge your people that I may discern between good and evil. For who is able to judge this great people of yours? So remember Proverbs and even Ecclesiastes describe things that are normally true but not in every case and in every circumstance true. So I think by and large, I'm so glad that this is going to be behind the firewall of the password. Anyway, we had a young pastor one time. And I've, I've told you a little bit about this. We had a young pastor. He was in his late 20s. And emotionally, he was in his late teens. And he was incredibly different, difficult to serve under. Um, I finally decided that we, I can't do this anymore. Um, in the next church we went to, uh, the pastor was close to 20 years older than him. But he wasn't mature enough for the job, I don't believe. I think he matured into it. He's still at the same church, actually. Um, but how many people got run over by his bus? Um, but I, I, I... Paul talks to Timothy about this, where he says, and to lay hands on no man suddenly. Lay hands on no man too early. And um, yet at the same time, let's flip the coin. He also tells Timothy, let no one despise your youth. But he tells him to be an example, and he gives him this incredibly tall order of how he is to live as a shepherd of the church and as an example of that. So, um, It's interesting because, you know, it's like the, the talk about Biden is he's too old, right? And he might be. And I don't know that we have anybody coming along that, and I haven't really paid a whole lot of attention to the, now all of a sudden you're, the Republican challengers are starting to line up, which I find fascinating. I'm actually going to start watching the news and do some more reading on this just for fun. But um, it's trying to find that sweet spot. Is someone too old to be an overseer or someone too young to be an overseer? Um, the word elder in the church had different meanings, but one of them referred to someone who was older, chronologically older, and therefore more mature. At least that was the, uh, the expectation. So, uh, but, and without taking the time to turn to it, Isaiah 3 talks about this. 
3, 1 through 12, actually, and then Isaiah 5, Isaiah 28, and then Amos 6. Even it, It's really talking about men who are rulers who refuse to grow up. That's, that's part of what, what this is talking about here. Um, so woe to you, the land whose king is a boy, <laughs> whose princes feast in the morning, and blessed are you, conversely, Okay, the other side of the coin, blessings and cursings, all right? The cursing came first, if you will, or the woe, the be careful. Um, blessed are you, land whose king is of nobility and whose princes eat at the appropriate time for strength and not for drunkenness. So there's, there's, that speaks context in the chapter, or verse 16, does it not? And, and so the king of nobility, that is the king who has character. I mean, every so often I meet young guys who I think have a lot of character. As I'm getting older, it appears to be rare. Maybe my standards are higher or maybe they're just not, maybe they don't make them like they used to. I don't know, you know. Uh, we talk about that all the time. It was different when we were growing up, wasn't it? Um, I think we all probably get that and feel this way, and I'm going to move on from that. But, <laughs> but, but, uh, but nonetheless, the king who has a noble character, which is a hard thing to do, but I think what you have, and, and that's why Paul, again, going back to his conversation or his letter to Timothy, he gives to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 3, qualifications for an overseer. And it's in chapter 1 of Titus, he gives them again to Titus. And it's, it's they're hard things to live up to. And I don't think anybody lives up to them uh, uh, with perfection. But again, going back to what you said at the beginning, Harp, you go after that stupid thing that you said and try to bring it back in and reel it in and call it good. You know, and, and move on from it. Um, and then we get these kind of almost parabolic sayings. And we're almost done. Uh, we've got a minute, but we'll, we'll extend just slightly. Through extreme laziness, the rafters sag, and through idleness, the house leaks. I, th I thought about building, you know, and more so the remodelers and the building repair people. Have you ever hired someone to do any work on the house that you had to redo yourself? <laughs> and the whole time, I'm just like, I'm not happy. But anyway, uh, sometimes it's ignorant. But, some, but in what this is saying here, through extreme laziness, someone who just wanted to get the job done. I was talking with someone this morning. They were complaining about the concrete, Right? that they broomed it too heavily, which means they broomed it too early. You know, when you broom concrete, you know, and, and if you, you hit it hard, it's going to, those huge, you know, caverns, if you will. Uh, it's nice texture, if you will, unless you're barefoot. But, um, and sometimes that, that laziness, I just want, you know, and the laziness, I just, I just want to get the job done and go home or go wherever. You know, and, and so, you know, it, it's, um, he throws this in here, and I'm not exactly sure why. 
other than the king who was a boy, the princes who feast in the morning. But people who prepare a meal for enjoyment, and then, you know, he comes here again. People who prepare a meal for enjoyment, wine makes life joyful, and money is the answer to everything. So I find fascinating that he, said, that he says this. Now, in, in verse 19, a different translation. People prepare food for pleasure. Wine makes life joyful, but money pays for both. What is he saying? <laughs> I had that look too. Don't feel bad. <laughs> In other words, if you want to have a nice dinner and have a nice bottle of wine, it's going to cost you. So don't be a lazy contractor. I know none of you are contractors. But anyway, don't be a lazy contractor that do work and that the, all of a sudden your rafters sag of the building that you've built and the roof leaps, or the house leaps. Because if you want to enjoy the things of life, then it's going, it's going to cost. So there, I used to work for a guy. Uh, he owned five health clubs in the Sacramento area. He was an interesting guy. He had an, a lot of money. And one of his sayings that he used to say all the time was, there is not a problem that you cannot throw enough money at to solve. Now, he would be, we would hear about it, when he had to throw the money at it, right? But, and he was judicious about the money he spent. But uh, he, he believed that. If there was a serious problem, you, 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 can, you throw money at it until it's fixed. You know, and again, five health clubs, equipment, building maintenance, all of that stuff. You know, because you've got people coming in and out of the, these, these places. And, and uh, a lot is happening and a lot of wear and tear on the building itself. Uh, and then it says, furthermore, in your bedroom, do not curse a king. And in your sleeping rooms, do not curse a rich person. For a bird of the sky will bring the sound, and the winged one will make your word known. Um, a parallel type of interpretation on this that says, do not make these statements. I'm paraphrasing due to time particularly, but do not make these statements in the company of your friends. Have you ever had someone, one of your friends, come and tell you that one of, our, one of your other friends is saying things about you? Of course you have. Of course you have. Hopefully you have not said something about your friend that one of your other friends went and ratted you out, but that is a possibility as well. Um, and, and so I take this with a grain of salt, and, you know, if I'm willing to say something, personally I'm willing to go on record. Unless, of course, you have to have a password to, get <laughs> to listen online. Uh, but, you know, um, you, you do what you do, right? But, you know, I, I mean, there was a, a guy here who used to be a pastor, and I, I, th I thought he was, oh, we'll use a Jewish word, I thought he was a schmuck. And um, a couple guys who attended here at the time, they had connections, and this one guy ended up going and, going to work for the guy because he left the area here and went and pastored in another church in another area. And I just said, you know, the, it, it's going to bite you in the backside. And sure enough, it did. But before it bit him in the backside, he had to go tell this guy that I told him that he was a schmuck. 
but because he was, you know, and he's, he's, proved, he's proved it time and time again, and now he works for the Billy Graham Association, but I digress, or the Franklin Graham Association, but anyway. Um, but I think part of that is, you know, to, I guess a little bird told me, maybe this is where it came from, Oh, a little bird told me, right? Um, I, I think part of it is that at times that we should stop and ask ourselves, and I, I didn't do that as much then as I do now. Not that I have all these bad and evil judgmental thoughts about people, right? But, but what I've, I, I guess I've learned over the years is that I, I've learned to kind of take pause and ask myself, do I really need to say this to this person? Is it really important? Now, with this one guy, he was going to move his whole family, and he did. He was going to move his whole family, and it was the craziest thing because he had just taken out a second on his house, so he was upside down by about $100,000, and he thought that God was going to sell his house for him about 100000 over market value and bring in some other poor schmuck right, to buy the house, you know, and be upside down. And I'm like, what are you thinking here? He didn't hear me. So that was part of the context of this. You want to leave this and go work over there, so he ends up, the house never sold. You know, the house that God gave him, that God gave him and God was going to sell, I guess God decided he didn't need the, he didn't, he decided to write it off. So, uh, you know, it's, And at what point it's like, particularly guys too, at what point either A, are you casting your pearls before swine? Or B, sometimes the lesson learned is better for them to learn it all by themselves. And they're not going to take your word for it. So you just let them learn it. And I've kind of taken that approach and in the meantime, made some people mad because of it. But, you know, and there's also the, f there's always the possibility that, guess what? <laughs> Good. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I can be wrong. I can be tainted. I can be influenced by my own carnality and whatever. And so, do they really need to hear it? And what would happen if the little bird went and told the person? Again, with this guy who I was telling you about, I didn't care. And I know he knows, you know, because I could tell by the way he responded to me the next time I saw him. And I was, I was good with it. But, you know, always the... I think admonition to think these things through a little bit before we let them go. But you know what? The problem is, is when you let them go at the time, it feels pretty good, doesn't it? You have to be patient. And that's not always a lot of fun. You're right, though, Tim. You have to be patient. And just sit on it, sit on it, sit on it, you know, and... and uh, there are even things that 
have occurred that I'm still sitting on. I'm just kind of waiting to see how they're going to unfold. And trust God with it. And, you know, if anything else, because I didn't say it, I can get in trouble for not saying it, which is a whole lot better for getting in trouble for not saying it than getting in trouble for saying it. And I've had that too. But it happens. And, you know, we played a dirge and you did not mourn. We played a joyful song and you did not dance. That's what Jesus described the generation that he was ministering to. And I think it fits for the generation of today.